Hi there, and welcome to episode 20 of The Green Room uh, here at The Green Age. And once again today, I'm joined by James. Hi Nick, how are you? I'm very well. Good. How's your week? Uh, it's been good. Weather's yeah. warming up. Weather's warming up. Well, T-shirt on. Well into the Cricket World Cup right now. Yes. Uh, Champions League all over. Not, yeah. Won't talk about the result. No, we don't want to ruin it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, no, all good actually. All good. I'm just, I love the sun. Really? Yeah, sun shining. It's just so much nicer. Take the dog for a walk in the morning, and it's not freezing and raining. Ah, for me, it's the long days. You know, I don't mind so much as the temperature. For me, it's just you can do so much. Mm. You know, in the evenings. Yeah, that's good. Some more leisure activities. What have we got today? Well, we 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 were. This was on the cards for a few episodes, and we did promise this to to our listeners and viewers and our loyal listeners. Well, some more loyal than others, but uh, <laughs> and you know, regular contributors, should I say, and um, you know, people that call us, call us up for for questions on the phone as well, or send us an email. Um, so yeah, it's it's questions from you guys. So hopefully, yeah, we, we're going to take each each question on its merits, give you a fair and comprehensive answer. We said um, we said we do this every ten episodes. We just take a group of questions that we get via all the different ways that you interact with us and then uh, we thought we'd answer them um i'm going to quickly say before uh we d- we jump onto these if you would like to um you know watch us you can always watch us on youtube uh if you go onto the green room on youtube you'll find us if you want to listen to us via our podcast and subscribe you go onto the green age website and there's a button right at the top that says podcast you can click on that and that will take you into various uh methods you can listen to us in search for The Green Room or The Green Age on uh, iTunes podcast, on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and we're hosted on Podbean, so you can also go there and find us. So if you're keen to hear more from us, then please, then please subscribe. Right, questions. Mm. Okay, um, so this one, they're all pretty specific, actually, this time. Uh, so we'll try and answer them. They might not take any time at all, in which time, case we've got some more time for news. We'll just see how we get on. So, first question: How much land space do I need for a ground source heat pump? Lots. Good answer. I'm going to elaborate on that. So, uh, well, first of all, you need access. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm uh, in, I don't know, central London or one of the big conurbations like Birmingham, etc., uh, and it's fairly packed, you yeah. know, I'm not going to be able to get a digger because that's what you need. Ground source heat pumps need the ground, so you need to d- dig. Uh, Deep. Well, there's there's two methods, right? Should we go into that one first? So there's so you can get them vertical, mm-hmm. right? And so vertical, so you're doing boreholes, and as you so say, you're gonna need a digger, basically. Yeah, like a, it's, have you ever seen Armageddon, the film Armageddon, like where they drill for oil? Yes, it's kind of like a mini one of those, and I mean it's a proper rig. They come in and they drill deep holes, like a hundred. Armageddon was all about the. It was, but at the beginning. Oh, it was at the beginning. Oh, right. Anyway, but they but they drill these holes. They're like a, you're looking 120 meters deep plus, right? Mm-hmm. So to be honest, the the area of ground you need to do that isn't very big. But as you say, you need to get the tools in there. Mm-hmm. They have big cranes, so they can lift them over if you're mid terrace. The key though is in London, always check. Don't start drilling 120 meter holes in the ground because you might come into a tube. Or you might hit a sewer, or you might hit all sorts of stuff. Or a diamond mine. Or a diamond mine, which would be great. So, but you need to you need to check. So don't do anything without the necessary permissions. The other type of a ground source heat pump is the one you were kind of alluding to. That if you you need a decent amount of space, like an acre or something like that, and you're digging it into a into a sort of well that's not a uh, trench, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so rather than going vertically, it's effectively like an under tray. It's like an under tray, and then it gets, you know, you get lots of cables and and, and Yeah, and so pipe, you get tubes and pipe work running through an acre of ground, but you're looking about sort of two and a half, three metres down. So it's not particularly deep on the grand scheme of things. But as you said, number mm. one, you need a decent amount of space, but you need yep. to be able to get your digger to said location. Both of these technologies a lot easier if you are outside a major conurbation. And I was just going to say, so for the viewers that don't know, so a ground source heat pump, you're effectively using a predictable energy source like electricity to move <laughs> heat from the ground to your house. Yeah, basically, yeah. And it's usually a compressor, drives yeah. the temperature up, it's nice and warm. If you're doing um, the boreholes, you can't have the boreholes too close together uh, because obviously they're taking heat, so you don't want them taking heat from the same place because otherwise you'll have less heat. Um, but you're still talking, you could do it in a sort of 10 by 10 square meter house comfortably. 10, I've seen it on your sister's 10. house, actually, yeah, which is very interesting. They don't have a massive garden and it was just there. But all I know, it just looked like an industrial site when the digger, <clears> when the digger, when the digger was, was there. And then when massive. they finished, all you saw is these little tiny tubes in the ground. Like there was, yep. they're genuinely, they're like yay big, but they're very, very deep. Um, so depends which one you go for. In vertically, you don't need much space. If it's horizontally, i.e. you're putting them in the trenches, then you need a much, much bigger space. Okay. Question one. Cool. Um, so question two, how much of the UK energy is currently renewable? So we did a podcast on nuclear a couple of two, weeks two ago. Two episodes ago. Um, and we had some really interesting comments on that. I think the, um, the big uh, laughing, because they were actually quite funny some of these comments um but some people consider nuclear to be a kind of renewable energy source which i'm kind of okay with but then others don't so it very much depends number one on if you think that but on the whole it's low carbon it's low carbon yeah but about 30 percent is coming from renewables so our main ones are nuclear <laughs> yeah sorry not nuclear wind and solar mm -hmm. they're the two big ones um an offshore wind is really big um, and then we do have some tidal, uh, and we have some ana uh, anaerobic digestion, digestion. Uh, biomass. But biomass. And biomass is growing, because a lot of the coal power plants that no longer burn coal burn biomass. Converted, yeah. Was it Drax? Is that the one that was converted to burn biomass? Uh, the, the one at Tilbury, was it? Can you have a look? Was it in the Tilbury power plant? Um, I forgot to mention we've got Harry here. I feel like now, she, now she's getting so, involved on so, the audio. So you can say 30, 29-30% renewable, and you can say, with adding nuclear, about 50% low carbon. Yes, that's a nice way of saying it. Um, but the majority still, or not the, the majority from one source is still gas. So we're still relying on bringing gas in. We produce a little bit from the North Sea, um, not half as much as Nicola Sturgeon would like. Mm -hmm. um, but we're bringing the majority in from Russia, uh, and also we bring it in through the, the LNG East. terminals. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, right, this is an easy one. Do smart bulbs save you money? So smart, rather than energy saving, smart bulbs. So I was going to make a comment there, so it depends how smart they are. James. Okay, what, what is a smart bulb? Um, I, I assume it's, it's one that's um, uh, it's, it's controlled either by an app or some sort of device so that makes that, that comes on and off at certain times that you want it to. So, so basically it's controlled. Yeah, yeah. So, so Philips do one. Uh, and as you say, it's, it's a hub that plugs in. Is it the Philips? Philips Hugh. Hugh. I was going to say Lou, but yeah, Hugh sounds better. Um, and they do one. 
Uh, and basically you have a hub that plugs into your router and then that will control, you need to get all the light bulbs around your house uh, and that will then control them uh, and turn them on or off, which is quite a nice is way it, I mean, things. Philips is just one of them, isn't it? Aren't other guys like Hive and... Yeah, I think there's loads of companies that do it. Yeah, I think there are lots of companies that do do it. They're, so so home, home automation systems, yeah? So where lights, say, yeah. boilers, things like that. So you want to control as many things. Do they save money? Technologies. Number one, it depends what bulb you were changing from. So if you're going from an incandescent to a uh, Philips Hue bulb, then yeah. yes, because you're going from an incandescent to an LED. Um, it also, you know, they're, they're quite clever. They You can kind of set them to turn off if you leave the house, for example. Um, which means obviously you'll save electricity if you've got to turn the lights off. So uh, my answer is yes, but not that much unless you're going from non-LED to the smart bulbs. Okay, cool. Happy That's with that it. one? Happy yeah, with yeah. Well, I'm going to have to put Harry on the spot for this one. I'm, I'm all right on this. When can I apply, when can I apply for the uh, warm home discount? James? No, I'm going to ask you, when can you? <laughs> and then I you ask me how do I? Okay, so when you can, I'm pretty sure it opens uh, different times for different energy suppliers, doesn't it? They open them at slightly different times. Basically, the energy supplier is the fountain of knowledge in this one. So if you want so to always apply check with for the energy it, supplier. so if you want to, so basically, it's not like they give you a check; they give you a discount on your energy bill, normally on your electricity bill. If you take gas and electricity, got electricity meters is that yeah. One? yeah. But if you take gas and electricity, you can put it through your gas bill. Um, however, you, it's all about calling the energy company. Number one, they have certain criteria. Um, so it tends to be sort of low income households. Uh, if you're on um, pension credit, all this sort of stuff. So so give your energy company a call and see because they might not tell you if you can be, and so you may as well make the call and ask. Because there's two, there's two kind of ways to get it. One, one set of people, the core group of people, get it automatically, and you'll probably get like a letter from your um, energy supplier saying, "Hey, there's 140 pounds, which is the fixed amount that it is." Or um, uh, if you're outside of that core group, then you, you have to, to apply. So that's so, what people want to know why. They, why they so do. ask the question, um, and you may, you may get it. But it's important to say check with the energy supplier. So. Um, Rather than wait till kind of the middle of winter, you know, try if they do open it up early, I suppose. Um, yeah, do it. I mean, ask, as I say, ask the question. But as you said, it, it opens once a year, essentially. I mean, yeah, it. yeah. It won't be before uh, before the summer because they um, the, the point they take it from, uh, they take your circumstances from, I think it's like the 5th of June, uh, July. I think okay. June. Okay. Does my landlord have an obligation to improve my insulation? Nicholas. Uh, I think the answer is yes, based on April 2018 um, private rental. So if you're in the private rental sector, um, the answer is yes. Um, but a lot of the times, um, how can I say, the landlords can find ways where, you know, if if it's too cost prohibitive, so say external wall insulation. Mm. So if you say to your landlord, oh, actually, you know, I want you to put external wall insulation on my house. Yeah. But then it's going to cost fifteen thousand pounds. The <clears throat> landlord doesn't have to do it because mm -hmm. it's deemed as a um, cost prohibitive measure. Yeah. But they do have to show the landlords that they are doing their best to, to put in cost effective measures like. But this this is to hit MIS, right? This is to hit the minimum minimum energy efficiency standards. So in theory, that's all to do with an EPC rating. It is. So but, you but could also just you, put a new boiler. But in. you can, as a as a tenant, 
my understanding is on the PRC regulations, you can write to your landlord and say, what steps have you taken to, to improve the energy efficiency? But could you not get a boiler instead of insulation? Not sure. Do you see, do you see what I mean? Yeah, you, you could, you, you, basically, the minimum energy efficiency standards mean that you have to improve the um, EPC rating of, of the... So if a boiler does it, it right, doesn't exactly. mean you're on insulation. Yeah. Um, and although, you know, external wall insulation being as it's kind of, you know, a lot of money, uh, that might not be an appropriate measure. They've now put in the minimum spend, so landlords um, have to spend um, a minimum of three, three and a half grand. Okay. Um, unless it's Which very I thought was too low. circumstances because of the house, or if you tell them they don't have to, so don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, agreed. Okay, fine. So, again, ask your landlord, prompt them, because they will get scared and probably improve your property. Uh, happy with that one? I think so, yeah. Happy? Yeah, yeah. As I would also say, um, uh, you know, if you are really suffering, it's worth talking to your council. They might have kind of... They do, um, yeah, they do some, there are sometimes grants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what, question six? Uh, what is best insulation for soundproofing? And then we've got some options there, uh, like cavity wall insulation, external wall insulation, or eco-ease. Depends on the product. Mm. Right, so um, wool fiber uh, yes. tends to be a lot better than a sort of a board essentially. So like a EPS, expanded polystyrene. So you'll see a lot of people will put in stud walls. They'll put in wool fiber because that will help buffer noise. Doesn't it help? One doesn't it depend on what your starting point is? So say if you've got single glazing and <coughs> solid walls, mm -hmm. you're gonna and you live near a busy road. Yeah, you're gonna be more. Um, susceptible to noise pollution. You, you absolutely, of course you are. But there, you've you've got two. So if you were in that example, if you were really desperate to limit noise, I would um, I would batten it out, mm -hmm. put mineral wool insulation between the battens, re-plasterboard and plaster the whole thing, and then you've got something that's going to absorb the noise. I know Rockwool and Kraft they do specialist yeah. mineral wool acoustic. Um, Battens or insulation to limit noise pollution. Uh, so you can look at those. I know that in some cases, and it does depend on the frequency of noise, but if you do external wall insulation and you use EPS, so expand a polystyrene, yeah. it actually amplifies the noise. Mm. So that's quite an interesting one because people always assume any insulation will help. It definitely helps thermally, but acoustically it may not. So be Sorry, eco is not an insulation, so I'm made of. Uh, no, it's, but it does help uh, soundproof. Uh, the secondary yes. glazing is actually a lot better than double glazing yeah. because it's a bigger gap. So, but but even so, like any secondary, if you get a new secondary glaze or sorry, new double glaze unit in your home now, typically that will massively improve the noise. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I had it done in a flat ages and ages ago, <clears throat> and it was, you know, it, it was very very loud. We we're right by a busy road, and that made a huge difference. And I, I think it was just because the seals around the double glazing units are so good now. They're like a you know old wooden double glazing, and they're quite rickety in the in the kind of double glazing unit. Mm -hmm. Whereas the new ones are very very good at stopping noise getting. Mm -hmm. um, but as you say, secondary glazing, bigger distance between the panels of glass, the better. But also, yes, to say if you, I think we mentioned this a few episodes ago. So even even your loft insulation. Um, goes into your point about fiber insulation so um, if you live say near an airport so we're, we're on the here on the Heathrow flight path um, so so loft insulation certainly would help reduce the noise you know coming yeah. from from above as well mm -hmm. so yeah fi fiber is a very very good one 
So I've got question seven. How do I know if I'm in fuel poverty? Right. Okay. So, well, typically, um, I think the definitions of it have slightly altered over time. Uh, but the, the the theme of the definition that keeps cropping up every time it's it's typically um, they have a figure of around ten percent of your net spend. So if you spend uh, around ten percent or more of your income on 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 heating bills and, and yeah. electricity bills. Okay, so ten percent of what defined. comes in. Exactly. So ten percent of what comes in, I spend on my electricity because, and gas. Because because there you can see it as a proportion of your total income. That mm -hmm. is quite a lot of your outlay. So so okay. therefore, you know, any variations to that, i.e., if the price goes up, you're gonna be spending a lot more. And, money. That, and that is the UK's definition, is it? Uh, no, because it varies between different countries, which is actually really, I mean, nations, boring, you mean? But it's very, yeah, it's very interesting um, uh, looking at the, the statistics because you think that they read one way, but actually, with the slightly different definitions in each country, you could easily. Um, so you mean between England, Wales, and yeah, Scotland and Northern Ireland, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Who, exactly. which of those four has the highest number of people? My internet is down, so I can't tell you the exact. You mean as a proportion? Because sure obviously, England being the most populous country, yes. we have the most people. Yeah, yeah, no, so I don't mean just as a number. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, statistically, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Northern Ireland, but I would have to check when my okay. internet comes well, back let's, up. Let's see I, think that back. I think that um, England is, uh, is the lowest. But, but again, it's to do very much as well. Fair enough. But what I would say is, yeah, so if, if, if you are in fuel poverty and you do, um, you know, as we said kind of earlier um, about the warm home discount, if you do kind of have... Um, certain entitlements that you're entitled to and you're receiving, then definitely check with energy suppliers about grants towards yeah. helping the energy efficiency of your property. And I know that because um, when we used to, you know, we used to go out and do these surveys and we used to help people who were in really sort of dire straits yes. Yes. Um, get them in contact with their councils uh, and they tended to be able to do emergency grants to improve various bits and pieces. So obviously, you know, if you've got a very old boiler and you put a brand new boiler in, you're going to use a lot less gas to produce the same amount of hot water and heating, um, and therefore you're going to save save money. So these kind of things, you know, swap all your bulbs out with LEDs. There are some really simple fixes. And an important one as well, energy suppliers. So yeah. to make sure make sure that you, uh, you know, if you have access to the internet or computer, you shop around and you try and find the best deal possible you know for yep. that particular time so if you can Great. pay we less have a, we have a page on the website which goes through um fuel poverty in different in all the different countries um uh, and the definitions and whatnot and also gives um, a list of places you can go if you um you know think you need some help okay perfect when you put the link to that yeah. yes. perfect right next question uh do i have to pay exit charges if i switch my energy supplier so I assume yes, if you're within the kind of middle of the contract. So what like it with most? Yeah, so I think so. I think it depends. So there are some contracts where there is no exit fees, right? And if you go into somewhere like U Switch, which is kind of the obvious one, um, as a switching mechanism, you will find contracts where there are no um, fees, no exit fees, no early exit fees. That being said, if you're in the last forty nine days, and this is as far as I understand, so Harry or Nick, correct me. In the last 49 days of a fixed term contract, you don't have to pay a get out clause. Is that right? Even yeah. if there is a get yeah, out clause. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, last um, uh, seven weeks, I think it is, they, they contact you um, and let you know. Okay, so if, it's, so if I've got 20 days to go, I can switch and not worry about it to pay the £10 originally on the. Uh -huh. Fine. So my, my 
example then. So if my one runs out on the 18th of December, mm-hmm. 31st of October, I can start speaking to other people. I mean, switching over. So in rare situations, um, an, an energy company that you're switching to might decide to, buy, to pay your exit fees for you, but it's not It's it's not like phone contracts. They don't do that very often. Okay. Okay. Or if you're switching with, uh, within the same supplier to a different contract, <clears> they <throat> might waive the, the exit fee as well. Fine. Okay. Cool. Uh, next question. Where are we? What are windstalkers? I'm trying to think. What are windstalkers? Okay, yeah, fine. So this is this is a concept for electricity production that is like a wind turbine, but they're like stalks of grass and they they wobble in the wind because you can get them really close. It's not real, is it? It's a concept. It's a concept, yeah. And because they can go really, really close... And they're made of ceramic things. It's um, really um, clutching the straws here. But I think they basically... The concept well is... so far. I think it's piezoelectric, which I, I quite like as a, a kind of concept. But basically, they, they blow in the wind, a bit like, in theory, a wind turbine. But because there's loads really, really close together, you can produce a lot more electricity. Because of what, rubbing against each other? And every and time they the blow, and... yeah, they're producing electricity via piezoelectricity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Concept... Have you got a blog about this? Yeah, I think so. That's why I'm remembering. Can we have a link? We have, my we, have, we have it on the website. My memory is awful, and I've just about remembered that. So there must I've definitely done something that in the past. Anyway, I think that is what we're talking It's a very cool was. theoretical technology, but it's not one that, that's being used, and it looks... Who on earth asked that? And if they found it, why didn't they just read what they would... Why didn't they read the blog? Anyway. Hmm, interesting. Good. Good, good, good. Do electric showers save you money? I don't think they do, because but by, by so I I think because it's electric powered by electricity as a as a source, mm. it's three three and a half times more expensive than gas. Yeah. So how on earth would it save you? Because you don't. I'm going theoretical here, but to I've have got a, a combination shower, boiler by the way. So fine. So you're about to pee all over my content. But if if you've got a hot water tank and you've got to produce the hot water, mm. I've got a you know I might produce too much hot water. What if I've got a mega flow with 100ml of insulation encased? Uh, granted, so the whole water would stay hot. It, it depends if you have a shower and then you don't have a shower again for 15 days. Hmm. Depends, I guess, on your showering habits, which I, I think they're think, unusual showering I habits. Just think I just get that. With an electric shower, people just run it too hard and too hot. So just by the nature of it, yeah. you'd want to just... But I, I, kind of, I kind of get it in, in terms of if you had... Um, if you have a house you build an extension rather than all the additional so plumbing the needs. Point of use, basically. yeah kind of because you turn it on you know you're going to get a whole yep. water out of it you run it for five minutes then you turn it off there's a convenience to it so it might save you money yeah sitting on the fence on that one yeah uh, okay I'm excited about your answer on this why do we get told to worry about water shortages and water running out but at the same time worrying about flooding and rising sea levels I was telling you about that last week, or three weeks ago, whenever it was. Uh, so, well, southeast, funny enough, doesn't get much rainfall, for instance, but it's got the highest concentration of people okay. in that space. So, southeast Supply gets, and demand. Southeast mm-hmm. gets quite frequent droughts, mm-hmm. um, but people out in the southwest, so if you go to like the Bristol Channel, Cornwall, Devon, it gets more rainfall. Mm-hmm. So, aquifers and, and, um, and, and water holes, they, they tend to... You know, hold much water, much more water. 
um, which is less susceptible to uh, droughts, even in, in kind of hot summers like we had last okay. year. So it kind of depends on the part of the country that you are. So it depends on demand for the water and the water stores you have. So, so in the east of the country, particularly southeast, it doesn't actually rain that much. You know, so, so, and then the amount of uses that we have, we just use way more water sometimes than, 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 than what we can. And I think the rising uh, flooding and rising sea levels, this is to do with sort of systematic climate change, I think is where this person was alluding to. Rising sea levels is sort of polar ice caps melting. The issue there is that it's between potable water, i.e. water you can use to drink, and seawater. So we don't have desal- desalination, which is the extraction of the salt from the seawater into potable water. For example, reverse osmosis okay. is an example of desalination. Very good, James. Um, but uh, yeah, technology is not quite, quite there yet. So um, yeah, I mean, we have You're to... fighting the osmotic gradient. No, no, just impressed that you're. I think we, yeah. So it's 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 kind of two two different things as you explained. So yeah, I mean, rising sea levels, unfortunately, nothing to do with water shortages. Yeah, 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 and also Thames Water, all the leaky pipes, so you could fix them. Right. Uh, can I use foam insulation on internal walls? Um, I don't know if the person meant spray foam because I've seen that some companies offer that in lofts. Uh, I'd probably say no. But you can use a foam-based rigid board, yeah? Yeah, well, that's why I was going to go. So, yeah. so you get, like, insulation on the back of plasterboard? Yeah, so the answer is yes, but it just depends on what type of foam insulation you mean. But can... you wouldn't use spray foam? No, the problem with spray foam, and we're going to get comments here because I've had disagreements with people about this, but the problem with spray foam is if water is, in, is sat on wood, right, it will rot. And when that spray foam sits, it gets fired against all the joists and everything. Yeah, and water, if there's any water there, it will literally, sorry, look at the camera, it will just sit against the wood and it will slowly rot. Right, and so that's my big issue. I have been told... On traditional that, masonry, yeah. But if you've got, say, a metal um, outbuilding, then, you know, it's, it's, you're putting a synthetic into something that probably, you know, hasn't got as much risk as, say, as yeah, I then, agree. Then it's fine. And, they, and so, they do talk about some of those being open open cell and water dissipates through it, but I don't believe it. Um, so, uh, anyway, but the foam insulation, if you yep. do it and you go with, like, a plasterboard with a phenolic foam on the back, so, like, um, a Celotex type product. Kingspan. Kingspan, something like that. Uh, you get really big energy savings. Um, the issues of internal wall insulation, though, so... Go on, don't tell me the issue of internal interstitial condensation. What is that? So, so when you've got um, the insulation on the on the inside, and you you are f- effectively then you got the fabric, and then you've got the external elements. So heat, you're gonna probably correct me this, but um, my understanding is that heat goes from a hot space to a cold space. Mm-hmm. On its travels, um, the vapor has got to condense somewhere. So, so what, what happens there is, um, because the insulation's on the internal leaf, sometimes you can get a condensation point right behind that on the kind of internal face of the fabric itself, where that's, in, that's severely um, exacerbated, you can get moisture build up, and therefore that moisture can travel through the, and impede the, um, the, the insulation fabric and cause damp and so forth. Yeah, so I've always done it a little bit more simplistically than that. I, I think that's right. I think that's 100% right. But I think I've always thought that if... So if I have my heating system on, right, 
and uh, and I don't have any insulation on a brick wall, the heat will just travel through that brick wall, and it keeps it at a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because I tend to have the heating on in the winter, it means that, that brick it might get pretty cold, but it doesn't get as cold as it could do. If I suddenly whack a load of insulation internally, right, the heat is the transfer of heat from inside to outside is going to slow right down, right. So this brick that previously had heat coming mm. through it, which didn't, didn't necessarily dry it out, but it did a tiny bit, but kept it at a relative temperature, suddenly doesn't get warm. This brick gets freezing, right? And if water is raining on it, um, sorry, if rain is making it all wet, this could in theory then freeze and you start blowing the brick. And, okay. that's, and that's my way of understanding. Onion skin weathering? Yeah, I like that, but I, do, I love a bit of unskin weathering, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's, that's the right term. Anyway, anyway, so we move on to question 13. I can't yes. get gas. Should I be heating with oil or electricity? Electricity, 15 pence per kilowatt. Mm. The electric heater is 100% efficient. One unit of electricity, one unit of useful heat. A oil boiler, to buy a unit of oil, it's about 5p per kilowatt hour, right? So that means one unit of oil... Um, it's gonna it's gonna cost you five p. It's they're not a hundred percent efficient, yeah. Mm. So it's kind of more like ninety percent efficient. Yep. Uh, so it drives the price up marginally. But comparing the comparing electricity and oil, it's much cheaper to get oil. Okay. Well, unless I'd say possibly if you get a heat pump. Yes, heat pump because, changes everything. So where you're you're taking, you know. Uh, so on an air source, you're taking excess heat from your garden and transferring it to your house using a very efficient source like electricity to um, transfer that, or you're using it from the ground. So that's a ground source heat pump, uh, which are even more efficient than that. So, mm-hmm. but I'd say it depends though, because it's quite difficult kind of to compare compare the two. But you can still do the calculation, I suppose. But you've got to have a big oil storage. Yeah, like electricity is very easy. And oil is filthy as well. It smells. Mm, it does. It does. Right. So I don't know on this question if we're going to know the answer, but we'll give it a go. I'd say, look, yeah, go on. We bought a house with solar panels, but the company that installed them and got the payments, so this is a rent-a-roof scheme, has gone out of business. Who owns the panels now? If we need them removed, who will have to pay? Right. I would say, so I'd say who owns the panels now? I'd say it's probably the the creditor. So so the, the, the people that kind of financed the original scheme in the first place yes agreed. so it's going to have it's going to have a bond or some sort of debenture attached to it you know someone's receiving those payments payments so the contract will move to another person mm. so you are still unfortunately within that contract it's not like you can say right the company's gone bust and take the solar panels off because you are contractually obliged to keep the solar panels on your roof and then if you remove them that's pay for them well the answer is probably you i.e. the person who and you will have to pay out the contract. Yeah. Essentially, you will have to pay that new owner, the company that you know have taken over the solar panel company. You will have to pay them the money to get out the contract. Now, if you did this in two thousand eleven and you rented your roof, that could be tens of thousands of pounds. Unfortunately, still remaining on the contract. Yeah. Um, and so that is a huge outlay to get rid of them. The the issue is if. You come to try and sell a property, and we're seeing more and more of this. This is one of our most commented on blogs on our website. Is that if you have solar panels on your roof from a rent a roof scheme, trying to sell that property 
becomes a bit of a nightmare. Um, it can be done, but the number of people that got in touch with us with sales falling through because of this. It's on the land registry, so when I do the searches, yeah, it comes and, up on the... And the issue is on the land registry, if the contract wasn't done correctly, on the land registry, it kind of can, these entries appear of just these ridiculous names. You know, the companies that have done it tend to be... They're not doing it properly. I was about to be rude about them, but they're so... Uh, I'm sorry if you've gone through it. Um, if you're not living in the property for 25 years, I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, you're going to have to make those payments directly to the people that have taken over that contract. So question 15, does insulating paint <clears throat> actually work, James? I'm going to say no. Okay. I may get in just, trouble here. Do we just move on? Yeah, I'm just, the only reason I'm going to say no is because if you're putting a paint on, yeah, a mm. paint is... A millimetre thick. You need a material to slow down on that transfer of, of well, heat. There's, yeah, like so, even the, insulation. Yeah, the best product yeah. in the whole world isn't going to have that good thermal efficiency at a millimetre thick. So I there's, I just don't believe it, mm-hmm. basically. You know, if you, just going, put it into number terms, if you're putting insulation onto the outside of a house to hit building rates, you have to fit but 90 millimetres. I'd like to prove wrong. So if there's any, any products Please. out there... Right to us, send us the yeah. the numbers of research. Actually, when we'll we d- when we went and did that course on new values yep. relatively recently, we, what was the word I couldn't say? Emissivity or something? Emissivity. Yeah, emissivity. So yep. that's with the foil backed insulation. Yes. That's quite interesting because foil is obviously tiny; it's very mm-hmm. very thin. But that had a real impact on um, heat transfer because it reflects it back. Or so, I get in potentially there is some science I don't understand. The, yeah. But I'd say no. I'd say so the ideally, just work. tin foil the inside of your house. Yeah. Mm. Great. But, but you need a but you need a cavity though. That's what the that's what the U value man said. Fine. So don't put tin foil on the inside of your house. Anyway. Good. Next one. Is that um, the same as the first or second question? How much space? How, where can I find a domestic yeah. RHI registered investor in my area? Explain to me what a domestic RHI registered investor is, Nick. Wow. Uh, I'll take this one, don't you worry. <laughs> so basically, if you um, want to get, say, a heat pump or a biomass boiler or solar thermal, and you don't have um, the excessive amount of money to, um, to buy one, then you can get a registered investor to pay for um, part or all of the uh, initial expenditure, and then they get the payment. This sounds like French roof. Well, the difference is that you then, you own the installation. They've paid for it and they get the payments, but it's yours. So what if you sell the house? Then I think that it goes on to the the next person, I'm pretty sure. Are you going to have the same issues? Because obviously you've got less of an issue because feed-in tariff and rent-to-roof scheme, 25 years. RHI, seven years. But if I want to sell my house next year and I want to put a new heating system in, Am I going to run into problems? Yes, <laughs> probably, because of the same reason. It, has to, it sits on the electricity house. meter, so it's a bit like the Green Deal, I, I suppose. You would, you would see it up on the searches, wouldn't you? Okay, so if you're planning on moving house, we'd... Again, we'll check we'd with your mortgage some... provider, so they might, yeah. they might say it's fine. Yeah. But it's not your mortgage, it's the person coming in with a new mortgage on your house. Yes. Do you yes. see what I mean? So disclose it, obviously, and then the person coming in has to be comfortable. Yeah, that, that's I'd, what they're taking on. Well, the other thing about it is that with the, as you were saying, with the rent a roof kind of thing with solar power, uh, there are a lot of companies doing it, and kind of um, maybe 
not so reputable. Whereas um, this time with the RHI, because it's only been in place for a year mm -hmm. or so that you can do this, um, they have to be registered, going back to this question, they have to be registered, um, registered investors, um, which is a process they have to go to uh, uh, to get approved by Ofgem. Um, but they also have to be on either the Renewable Energy Consumer Code register or the Home Insulation Energy Systems Contractors Scheme, which are just some really nice, easy things to remember. They are, they are good. Um, Maybe Nick could come up with an acronym <laughs> for them. You know, like REC, for example. Or the SEGs, what were they? Huh? The, what? Seg. the SEG, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so, so um, uh, either one of those registers, we'll put links to them on the bottom, but uh, one of them, the, um, the HIES, I'm not going to say the whole thing again, that, that when their website's down at the moment, um, but if you go onto the RECC website, REC. the REC website, mm -hmm. then um, you can do a search for um, registered investors. We would suggest getting a loan to do this, mm -hmm. right? Because the loan's on you, sell your house, then you can do what you want. You, yeah, it. you get the payments, use the payments to offset the loan payments. I would suggest that would probably be a better idea than potentially tying yourself up in legal loops and not being able to sell your property. Fair? Yeah, Contract. I agree. Right, but obviously we're not financial advisors and therefore you don't have to listen to us. I think we should mention that. Um, last question. What thickness of external wall insulation should I get? I'd go so if it's if it's solid if you've got a traditional um, solid brick house you have to sort of follow U values rather than thickness so different materials will kind of generate different different U values so on on expanded polystyrene for instance on a 1930 solid brick house you need about 90 mil of polystyrene insulation to achieve 0 0.3 watts per meter squared Kelvin um, which is Blimey, for uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is for a um, um, a, a, a retrofit project yeah, to, to get the current building regulation standards um, obviously if you're doing extensions and a new build is going to have different rules and regulations that are a bit more stringent um, and then if you use different materials you might need less or more of the thickness what's the thinnest insulation material I could use probably a K5 board so it's a phenolic core board okay um, thickness so I don't want to kind of I'm going to sit on the fence but Probably somewhere between like 60, 70 mil. Okay, fine. Um, but you just obviously double check. And if you need a U value done, ask James. Yeah, big time. Right, uh, cool. Well, that's it for episode 20's questions. We've got time for some news. Uh, well, yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say a bit away. of sad news there. So, uh, right. this was uh, this is the BBC today. So, climate change um, affects link to puffin deaths. In Alaska. So what they're saying there is, um, puffin to nothing. Puffin to nothing. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, essentially, what's happened there? Because of the uh, perceived climate change links of warming sea temperatures, and as a result, causing fish to migrate further up north, uh, means less food for the puffins. So the poor things just starve to nothing. death. Mm. To nothing. <laughs> Sorry, that is very sad. So I thought it was a bit of sad news there, but um, Sorry, I tried on, to I tried to put a cheery spin on it. It was on the BBC today, so I thought that was yeah. Anything, Not great. We'll have some positive news. We got some more positive because I feel bad now. I've made a joke about puffing deaths. Well, I mean, there hasn't really been, but because we've been gripped by elections and all sorts of things. Uh, over and the, the Champions week, League final, which we're not going to reveal the result. We're not going to reveal the winners. Um, but yeah, it's just it's 
bad news in in the UK energy market because you know you're constantly getting supplies fined and you know energy mm. companies going bust. We're gonna have some good news next week. Yes, we're gonna have five stories of good news. Okay, right. Uh, that is I it. I think that's it for this week. So tune in again next week, and we'll see you. See you soon. Thank you.